1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrack, and today is one of my favorite days of the year. It's our annual holiday show. And starring in the episode today is National Ballet's principal dancer, Heather Ogden, who's playing the Sugar Plum Fairy in the iconic ballet, The Nutcracker. She will be dancing in this most admired and beloved role until December 19th, so make sure to get your tickets to see her. We'll have more at the end of the show about how to get your tickets this favourite holiday classic. Also coming up later on in the program, we have our film critic and TV expert extraordinaire Tom Ernst with some excellent picks for great Christmas movies and holiday fare to watch out for in the theatres and on streaming services this holiday season. And also because this is our holiday show, we're doing a great giveaway courtesy of a beautiful boutique in Toronto called Restyle Renew which is a fun personal shopping experience that empowers women of all ages, shapes and sizes, featuring global designers and brand styling, curated by the very talented Dahlia Paul Lipson. Right now, I'm joined by prima ballerina Heather Ogden, but before we meet her, let me tell you a little bit more about her. Heather Ogden was born in Toronto and trained at the Richmond Academy of Dance in British Columbia before joining the National Ballet of Canada in 1998. She was promoted to principal dancer in 2005. Heather is a powerful dancer of extraordinary depth and range, and she's performed nearly every lead role there is to play in the classical repertoire. She shines equally in contemporary work, and has long been a favorite of visiting choreographers as well, which says a lot. Most recently, Heather debuted as Toby, in the world premiere of Wayne McGregor's Mad Dad Dem. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yep. <laughs> Heather's repertoire with the National Ballet includes principal roles. And just for, even if you're not a ballet to Maine, you'll know that these are the dreamiest roles that exist. Roles in Swan Lake, The Sleeping Beauty, Romeo and Juliet, The Nutcracker, Onegin, Nijinsky, The Merry Widow, La Bayadere, Cinderella, The Winter's Tale, Alice's Adventure in Wonderland, Anna Karenina, Le Petit Prince, and Carmen, just to name a few. She has an extensive George Balanchine repertoire, and she has danced in many contemporary works, including new creations by such choreographers as Alexei Ratmansky, Christopher Wheeldon, Wayne McGregor, Crystal Pite, and Jorma Elo. Heather has danced leading roles in ballets by James Kadelka, including the title role in Cinderella, Summer in the Four Seasons and Helene in Italian Straw Hat. As a guest artist, Heather has performed with the Suzanne Farrell Ballet, which she considers to be her second home away from home. The Stuttgart Ballet, the Hamburg Ballet, Munich Ballet, and various galas such as the Hamburg Ballet's 40th Anniversary Gala, the Gala des Etoiles, what a beautiful ballet evening that is, stars of the 21st Century Gala, the BAMP Centers 60th Anniversary Gala, and the International Ballet Festival in Havana, Cuba. In 2011, Heather was chosen by Evelyn Hart for the Governor General's Performing Arts Award Mentorship Program. In 2014, she became an ambassador for Rolex Canada. Heather also starred in the beautiful short film, which I just saw, Lost in Motion 2, in a stunning performance which debuted at the Dance on Camera Festival in New York City in 2014, and in 2021, Lulu, a film created as part of the National Ballet of Canada's Expansive Dances series that featured Heather, won Best International Short Film of the 2020 Milan International Film Festival MIF Awards. Heather Ogden, I'm so delighted to have you here. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: In this show, Heather, as the title I'm sure says to you, it really is about finding your bliss. It's all about passion and purpose. And so I find there's something really magical about a ballerina like you, really at the top of your field, who embodies everything intriguing about ballet. You're beautiful, athletic, seemingly able to defy gravity with your inimitable strength and grace. And for anyone who's a ballet goer, You'll know Heather Ogden from all of the magnificent ethereal ballets that you've shared with audiences from principal roles, as we've mentioned, in Swan Lake, Romeo and Juliet, Cinderella, and of course, The Nutcracker. But it's exciting for me to interview someone who really knew all of this at age six years old. You knew Hmm. about your calling, thanks to a really cool babysitter who you had in Richmond, B.C., who studied ballet at a nearby studio, and you became enchanted and then hooked. And it all happened for you at a performance of Cinderella when you were only six years old. Can you tell me first what happened at that performance to just really change the course of your life?
2: So we moved to Richmond, BC when I was six from Toronto and we had, you know, everyone in our lives were new, including all the neighbors. And there was just this babysitter who came into our lives and she danced And I guess they she invited me to come see her show. So I went to go see it. And I think I really liked her. I don't know (laughs) if I loved ballet, but I was like, yeah, I want to do that, too. So I just kind of was a bit of a copycat. (laughs) My mom was probably looking for new activities for me to join into. So that's how I started. It's funny that you advertised it as such a calling for me. I'm not sure it actually was like. Really? I started, and at first, ballet for little kids it can be quite slow. And ballet is something you have to learn really well, and it mm-hmm. takes time. So you're not doing all the fun things for a really long time. So I remember, I remember I was like, "It's okay," but then I, <laughs> I always stick with
1: things. So as I stuck with it, I fell in love. Wow! So was that such a wonderful tip for people to know that it only happens when you've developed that discipline and those millions of hours of work that go into mm-hmm. it, and. What's fascinating also is that you graduated from that same dance studio, the Richmond Academy mm-hmm. of Dance mm-hmm. in 1998, going on to join the National Ballet of Canada as an apprentice and then as a member of the Court of Ballet the following year. And your trajectory was also a bit different, so you didn't go to NBS. You were hired as an apprentice at the National Ballet of Canada. You're invited to become a part of the company shortly thereafter. And you said that those apprentice years, much like what you've just talked about, about taking a long time to fall in love with that discipline, the apprentice years are like a year-long audition. Can you say mm-hmm. more about that and tell us what happened during that year?
2: Right. So usually when people are hired into the company, you do at least one year of apprenticeship. So you know, I graduated high school, I got on a plane and moved here when I was 17. And so then you're getting acclimatized to the company and you're helping out, you're doing some of the more like whatever they need you to do, you're doing sure. it. But of course, at that age, I'm like, just happy with absolutely anything. So they have you training and then also working to understudy many roles and learn a lot of the corps de ballet work, which is the main group, like the entry level of the company. And so you get a chance to be on stage, especially in Nutcracker. There's a lot of opportunity. And then that gives the artistic director the chance to know you more than just a two-hour audition. So they see you work. They see your work ethic. They see your development. They see your performance qualities or talent. They see your resilience or the way you use your brain, not just your physical talent and artistry. So it's a big You know, when you hire someone, you're giving them a year contract, you're giving them a commitment. So it's a big opportunity for the leadership to be sure about their commitment to you.
1: Wow. And it must have been hard as a 17-year-old. And I know the space that you were in because my daughter, Lily, who's actually a singer in New York, but she studied with the Young Associates Program, which is not the professional Mm. ballet school that you were part of. But I remember her waiting in that cafeteria to go to class and seeing some of the students from your ballet school, the real professional school in that same cafeteria. And I would wonder what's it like for these 17-year-old young girls far away from home. And you weren't like from Ottawa. You were from the other side of the country, what was Mm -hmm. that like for you? Were you homesick or did you just sort of focus so much on it that you were able to distract yourself just with the work?
2: I was homesick. So I didn't have anything to do with the, well, actually that's not true. We took class in the morning at the National Ballet School. It was like part of the apprenticeship program, but I wasn't actually a student of the school. So I didn't live there. So I lived, you know, everybody moved into their own apartments and I actually lived with a family, like I rented a room in a house for one wow. year because I was just not very independent yet. So for one year I did that, but I was homesick. I was very close yeah. to my family and very close to my close-knit group of friends. And it was weird to come here. I had family here because my family is from here. So I have cousins and things like that, which yes. really helped keep me sane. But yeah, we come from all over. Like I'm so close with the girls, especially that I joined with. And yes. so we joined us, we call ourselves the original apprentice. And uh, <laughs> like one was from Belleville, one's from South Africa, wow. one is from Australia. So like I was not even the furthest, like I could go home at Christmas and things like that. But yeah, we all the company is full of people who have moved here for the job, though. So there's a lot of really amazing friendships in your workplace. Yeah, we're a tight group that way, I think, because lots of people don't have the same community that you would have, you know, if you're just working close to home.
1: Yes, I've heard that actually about this company. And anyway, you moved up through the ranks very quickly. And I know (laughs) I I could spend three hours with you talking about this, but I know that you were destined to be a ballet star from the very beginning. It really, I think that was clear from studying your your whole story. You were dancing as a second soloist on the last performance of this ballet season. You were called to dance as first soloist after your third unscheduled performance of Swan Lake in 2003, when you were filling in for a dancer. You found out at the end of that performance performance that you were being promoted to first soloist at the start of the new season. So while, while everyone was drinking champagne to celebrate the end of the season, you were like, oh, you were Starry eyed for a whole other reason. You had just found out this very yeah. exciting news. What was that like when you got that news that night that you were moving forward in this very exciting capacity?
2: It was so wonderful. I, I smiled just thinking of it. It was a special moment. Like I said, I was, this is my first one, like my first time doing the principal role. And I, I was always grateful for the challenges that I had. I feel like my director at the time had a good vision for me and I always felt the next challenge was ready for me yes. um, at the perfect timing. So I remember working on Swan Lake and I was just so focused. I was and, like determined and ambitious and just like hard on myself. I loved it. I love the challenge. Wow. It's a very, very hard one. And then I remember during the shows, I had this little thought I was like, I wonder if I could get promoted from this role. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like it just it only crossed my mind briefly for once. It's not like I had been like when is my promotion or anything yes. like that. I just I thought, oh I wonder if mm, I don't know. And then when I was called to do that extra show, I was at home and they called me and I came in and I was just like I was very young, so all it really took was like a tiny bit of adrenaline for me too. Be ready for that show. So, yeah. And then after the show, my director promoted, like, after the curtain comes down and we all do our bows, often the people doing the principal role will stick around and, you know, get some feedback or something about the show. And that's when my director, James, promoted me. And it was just... Such a nice surprise and (laughs) such a happy moment. And then, yeah, I got to go upstairs and spill the news to my
1: friends. (sighs) Isn't that wonderful? That's very, very exciting. And you were just in your third year in the Corps de Ballet when you were cast as Juliet. Talk about dream roles of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. What was it like when you found out that you were going to play that role? And what was it like playing Juliet in Romeo and Juliet?
2: That was another really nice moment. We were finishing our season, which finishes in... June or back then it might've been like May. And they, we have our start back date after the summer yes. and they were going to put up a list of people because some people would be called back early to learn the principal oh, wow. roles in Romeo and Juliet. I, it just wasn't even on my radar to even go look at that list. <laughs> and then, then I just saw my name there and I was like, Oh, I couldn't believe it. I was in one hand, very ambitious, but also humble. And like one, I was like, I can't, there's probably a million people who want this role. So I just kind of like kept my eyes Um. But it was a dream. I It was a huge, huge role for me. It's a big, huge, dramatic role. I was quite yes. young and much more conservative in that way shy kind of introverted, I would say. And then it's a ton of partnering I hadn't done. I was not seasoned in that. Yeah, anyway, it's an absolute dream role. And uh. I got to work with Magdalena Popa, who was my coach and mentor and became like such a special part of my life and career. And that was my first real opportunity to work with her. And she was instrumental. Like she put me together as a ballerina Wow! and it definitely started there. Like she really invested in me and my partner and our development. I I learned a lot that I learned a lot after that as well, but I feel like that was
1: the start. That's, wow. that's when things started. Yeah, Every girl dreams of this, but few ever achieved the level of spectacular success you've achieved. What drives you so relentlessly? And to what do you attribute the dazzling heights you've reached?
2: What drives me? I mean, I'm so lucky to do what I love. I've always felt like in some ways I fell into it and I'm very hardworking and I'm very dedicated. And like, I love the work and I just could never imagine Being without it. But it's served me really well. And the fact that I love it, that I'm happy to work on it. And then when you get good at something, you like it more. And it just has become this beautiful relationship that I have with ballet. And I'm really a community person. So I love my company. It feels like home, where, like I said, I've had the opportunities. Some of it is, so much of it is hard work. There's some talent, but also it's being supported, having people behind you, having the opportunities to prove yourself and to grow. And I've been, I was always fed here. I was always Mm -hmm. given uh, what I needed and I danced other places as a guest, but I always, I felt very loyal to this company and that it felt like home to me and that it gave back to me and I could give back to this company and this country. It's lovely. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I feel lucky.
1: One of the people that nurtured you and I think fed you to use your language has been Karen Kane. Mm -hmm. She was very kind to you, even when you came back to Swan Lake after having your second baby, Leo. And I think for you, it felt like such an accomplishment. Wow, I had a baby and I'm still dancing. This is in such a major ballet such as this. And she was so kind to you and said, if it's too much, you can pull out at any time. What has it been like to be mentored by the great Karen Kane?
2: Well, I always remember when I joined the company as an apprentice, she had retired already, but she was around. She was teaching a bit, and I remember being in class one day, and she walked in, and I was like, (gasps) no one else blinked (laughs) an eye; They all knew her. Or like, if they had gone to the National Ballet School, they always saw her, probably. Yes. But I was a little bit starstruck. But within a few years, I was working with her. I was really hard on myself, and I, I didn't always hide that very well. And I remember her telling me that she was also like that. So I was like... I'm gonna like this is great. If Karen <laughs> if Karen is hard on herself, then uh, at least that's it's a okay. good sign. Um, yeah, but she became my director after James Kadelka stepped down. She became the director, and then we began working together much more. We always had a really easy relationship. She believed in me, and I found her really easy to talk to and to communicate with, which is it's really nice in this industry where your director really like makes so many important decisions about you. I felt there was really an ease between us. And I, you know, I admire her so much and her career and what she had accomplished. So to have the person leading you also be really inspiring oh, is wow. really a gift. Yeah. And she was this big, huge, famous ballerina, but yeah. she's also really down to earth and, you know, when I was having my children, she was so supportive. And she was like, when I was stressed about things, she's like, this is the most important thing. This is what's really important in life. And ballet itself doesn't always have that reputation or history of people of like, you know, dancers never had babies. It's like, you dance when you're young, you don't have babies. You you stop if you want to do that. So, you know, we're far away from those days, but there's still a little bit of that stigma attached. So I just, I loved her support. And yeah, when I came back from Leo, I had my kids quite close together. So honestly, I was just back from having Emma and people wow. were still, they were like, so great to have you back. And <laughs> I was like, I'm pregnant. <laughs> so it wasn't in a huge rush to get back, but I was motivated. And I, I had just done such a big job getting myself back in shape after my first baby that I, I was very motivated in my second pregnancy. I danced until I was five months pregnant. I felt great. I mean, it's different. Every pregnancy <laughs> is different. I felt great. And so... Karen said, "Do you think you could be back for Swan Lake?" And I was like, wow. "I love a challenge." So I was like, "I'm going to try, but I also don't want to put you in a position where you're counting on me and I, you know, let you down or someone else is not prepared to do the role." So she said, "Why don't you just try and you can pull out up until the last minute." And honestly, you know, when you have that permission to, you have an escape route planned for me, that's all I really need. And then I was like, there's no way I'm not doing this. And then they put up like massive posters of me and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel like I can really pull out anywhere. But yeah, I, uh, I was back on stage at five months. I was pumping in the intermission. There's nothing that makes you feel like a superhero more than being able to do all those things at once. And I also want to say that it's, it's not always possible. Like that was not my route back with my first and Everybody takes their own time, but those ballets like Swan Lake, they only come around every three, four years. Yes. So it felt like this is such a special ballet for me. It's been a really special vehicle in my career, for my development.
1: I love it. I feel good in it. So I thought, might as well try. Might as well try this one. Yeah. The Nutcracker, there's just something magical about it. I've seen it every single year. You've played many roles in it from a sheep to the small, medium and tall snowflake roles, depending on your various heights in the ballet, even the snow queen, but the sugar plum fairy stands alone. It's different. And I know we're nearing to the end, but what do you love briefly the most about playing this ethereal dreamlike role?
2: First of all, I love this version of the Nutcracker so much. It's a such a different audience. Not that I don't love our regular audience, but it's filled with like Young kids, people are making noise. It doesn't matter. There's so much joy. There's so much tradition in people's yes. lives about coming. Like, you just feel this excitement from the audience. And the Shaker Plum Fairy is, you know, when a little girl says, I want to be a ballerina, I feel like that's it. That's what she's picturing. It's yes. the pink and gold costume. There's the little wings on the back. There's multiple tiaras <laughs> that come out of this massive egg. So as much as I love the experience of dancing it, I know that all the little girls are just like so... Enamored by that. So it's nice to get to play that role. Sometimes it's, we have Tchaikovsky's amazing score. I just, mm. I love it. I hear the music and I get excited. It's not yeah. the opinion of all ballet dancers, because I think some people feel kind of haunted by Nutcracker, but um. yeah, it's so magical and Yeah, if you haven't seen it, just like even the entrance of the Sugar Plum Fairy out of this massive cabergé
1: egg is just to die for. It is, it is. I can't wait. I can't wait to come and see you in it. And I'm going to have to have you back because there's so many more questions I have for you, like what it's like to dance in your size six and a half classic free Point shoes. That's a whole (laughs) other... (laughs) But I'm going to ask you something that we ask every celebrity guest on this show, and that is, what is bliss these days for Heather Ogden?
2: We just finished a wonderful season I danced a few roles that I really really loved I felt like I came home from some of those shows feeling so fulfilled and like proud of our work you just have this amazing gratitude after those shows and then I wake up the next morning with my two little kids and they're like you don't really know but they're like how was your show like they think it's they they think it's nice but I do and (laughs) I think bliss for me right now is having that balance of doing what I really love getting to be an artist, getting to be a dancer and getting to be a mom. And I'm so grateful to have both. And I feel like it's not always easy. It's not always pretty. But when it comes together like that, I would say that's my bliss. I love
1: that. I love that. I wish you much continued success, much great luck with the end of the run. I can't wait to see you on stage. I look so forward to it. And I just want to truly thank you for being here today. It's been such an honor to have you here.
2: Oh, it was a pleasure. I'm sorry. I can't stay longer. Next You'll time.
1: Ca- next time. Yeah. I love la, la prochaine. Thank you. À la Bye. Prochaine. <laughs> thank you, Heather. Bye-bye. We're going to go on a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk movies, TV series, and some great holiday fare for you all. We'll be right back with film and TV critic extraordinaire, Tom Ernst, back in
3: a moment.
1: You're back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And if you're just tuning in now, this is our holiday special. And I'm so excited to welcome back to the program, for the fifth time in a row, film and TV critic par excellence, Tom Ernst. Before we welcome him back, let me tell you a little bit more about him. Tom Ernst is a Toronto-based film critic, writer, and member of the Toronto Film Critics Association. His work has appeared in various publications, including... Playback Magazine, the Toronto Star, and the National Post. Tom is known to CBC radio listeners for his lively contributions to Fresh Air, Metro Morning, and CBC Syndication, as well as appearing on air for CTV New Channel and The Agenda, one of our favorites, was Steve paken Tom is perhaps best remembered as the host, interviewer, and producer of television's longest-running movie program, Saturday Night at the Movies. Currently, Tom's reviews can be read on OriginalSin.ca and northernstars.ca. Tom's first book, The Wild Boy of Wabamit, a memoir, is available from Dundurn Press. It's a fabulous read, and I have to tell you all, it makes for a wonderful holiday gift. Tom Ernst, welcome back to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you, Judy. Always fun to be here. So great to see you again! I can't believe it's that time of year again, and it's actually your sixth time on the program because you were on every Christmas show, and this is our fifth one for year five. Right. And you also were on for the book, making it a total of six times. I think that might be the record. You and Erica M are, are tied there somewhere. Well, you
0: know, I always wanted to hold a record with Erica M. Is,
1: what am I Absolutely, stupid? everybody. We all <laughs> we went through COVID together, Tom, on this show when everything was. Stra- Streaming, but now we're kind of back in theaters again. How wonderful is that? So first of all, are people going back to the theater in droves? How would you describe the in-person movie-going audience these days? You know, I do think that
0: everyone is back in theaters. There's some holdouts, certainly in my household. There are one or two people, and there's only three of us who live here, (laughs) who are still really reluctant to go back to the movies in theaters. But overall, I think one of the great indicators of the fact that people are going back to the movies, it's either an indicator that people are willing to see movies in the cinema, or it's an indicator that uh, with the writer's strike, there's not much else on television. But one of the films we're going to be talking about was only streamed last year, and this year is now getting a theatrical release.
1: Yes, and that one I think you're talking about is called Spirit. Spirited, yeah. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about Spirited? And now you're right. Now it's actually available for an in-person movie going audience. That's very cool. Right.
0: It's also on Apple. And this is uh, one with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. Now, I'm not the biggest Will Ferrell fan. And when this film came out, critics were kind to it. And I was one of them that, and then I I didn't give it a review, but I sat down to watch it and I gave it about 15, 20 minutes and just wasn't working for me. Then for whatever Christmas miracle happens, you know, uh, I sat down to watch it again. I think on the advice of someone whose opinion I, I hold quite dear and loved it. Uh, it takes a while. It takes a while getting in, but this is a retelling of the Scrooge story. And it's delightful. And it's very meta. So they're very much aware that they're singing and dancing. And there's one great moment when Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell talk about how they knew the words to the song and the dance steps. And one would say, well, I was just following what you did. He went, you mean you've never danced before? It's quite (laughs) hilarious. And it just gets better as the film progresses. So I'm really glad to see this one back. And this is the one that's in theaters. I would even consider going to watch it on the big screen. It's a delightful holiday
1: film. So good to know. That sounds fantastic. I look forward to seeing that one. And let's also talk about a movie that you recommended called The Holdovers, which is Alexander Payne's 1980s Christmas movie with Paul Giametti. Can you tell us a little bit about the film before we see the clip and what audiences can expect? Well, you know, Alexander
0: Payne is great for these kind of edgy films. And, you know, he sort of pushes the envelope in a lot of ways. In this one... It's his most commercial film yet and might be his best film. It really is a tremendous movie about three lost souls that are uh, stuck over the Christmas holidays in uh, this private school. And uh, the film has the look and feel of a 1980s movie. It just, and you can tell that just from the, the previews, but it's a delight. It's Giamatti is wonderful as this curmudgeonly professor. Uh, and then we have... Uh, uh, we have someone new, named Dominic Sisa, who mm. I've not heard of before, and he plays the young man who whose uh, parents leave him there for the holidays. And I and I tried to do some research on him, and I think this is his first role. Wow. And he he just nails it. And and uh, you know, there, there's also the the school cook or cafeteria lady or whatever she's also there, and the three of them have this wonderful, warm time together. You can probably guess where the movie goes because (laughs) it's pretty traditional that way. But the way it gets there is just wonderful. And I think it's one of the best movies of the year.
1: Isn't that cool? I'm very interested to hear this now. We actually have a clip from the film. Let's roll the clip from The Holdovers. I can
0: tell by your faces that many of you are shocked at the outcome. I, on the other hand, am not, because I have had the misfortune of teaching you this semester. And even with my ocular limitations, I witness firsthand your
3: glazed, uncomprehending expressions. Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. No, it's... uh, I can't fail this
0: class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can.
3: I'm supposed to go to Cornell. Unlikely. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Well oh, I hope so. <laughs> uh, you know,
0: yeah, Paul Giamatti is great in just about anything he does. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to drum up a bad Paul Giamatti role. But this one, he just excels his delivery, his timing. And Alexander Payne, as a director in this, um, well, he directed him in Sideways. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that film.
3: Yes, uh, yes. It's kind of
0: Giamatti's breakout film. And so they're kind of paired together again. And as Payne said, he really wanted to find uh, a film that he could work with Giamatti once more. This is it. He also said he it, it was a m- movie set in the 80s. And he thought, well, why do a movie set in the 80s that looks like it was made in 2023? Smart. Or, whenever he made the film. And so he makes it look like a 1980s film. And, I love that. Um,
1: I love the nostalgia of that. Like, I don't know, I'm craving that kind of stuff. We just talked about this on another show, but there's just something about nostalgic things. So to go back to the 80s is fun, right? Yeah, Yeah.
0: especially in the movies or with (laughs) the
1: movies. (laughs) That's absolutely true. Thank you for that one. Another film you've recommended is the prequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which is Wonka, starring Timothy Chalamet, Saint Amour. You had me at Timothy <laughs> you just saw it recently, and I'm dying to know what you thought about it.
0: I am not the right demograph for this film, and I loved it so oh. <laughs>
1: wow.
0: I, and, I, and you know what i i can't i I think the the assignment of reviewing this film has been given to someone else uh, who uh, who I write for, and I am worried that. They're gonna make this pan this movie and I really want to champion it because it is a delight. And as you say, Timothy Chalamet, did I pronounce his name right? Yeah, he's perfectly. A, he's a great Wonka. Yes. And the musical numbers, there's at least two songs in here that hit it way, way out of the park. And I think I know you well enough Judy, to know that you like musicals am I yes
1: am I uh, that's what we share that's one of the things we have in common is we love our musicals and
0: there are, there are three villains in this
1: film and
0: at first they're so cartoonish that I think, oh is this working <laughs> but they have a villain song where they try to convince the chief of police to get in on their crooked scheme and so they have this song and it is one of the best Moments and musical movies that I have seen oh. uh, comedically. Uh, it's it's just it's just amazing, and uh, I I just had a wonderful time watching the film. It's not a perfect movie. I think Olivia Colman, who's in it, I think her role is a bit too much, a little over the top, mm-hmm. and there's other things that are are really just aimed for kids. So they are jokes that fall really flat, like uh, Keenan Ivory win win in a in a in a fat suit. Is, yes. is uncomfortable but there are other moments where the film just excels and if you have a young one in the household uh, i would i would take them to see it and it's something i would see again i really really enjoyed this movie
1: i love that well we do have a clip from the trailer for wonka so excited to see this let's roll that clip
2: Willie, you know that shop the one you've been dreaming of
3: before the factory. This is going to be the best chocolate shop the world has ever seen. Ooh, he's good. Too good. Before the Oompa Loompas. In Lompa I am something of a whopper. They call me Lofty. This December. I've spent the past seven years perfecting my craft. Prepare to be amazed. I'm not going to let you out of my sight, really, Wonka. I'm
1: going.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm in. Sally Hawkins was in there. It's very magical. It's a little bit of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It's a little bit of Mary Poppins and, uh. and a whole bunch of other films. Like very fantastical. Uh, it's directed by Paul King, and Paul King did the bear, uh, the the bear movie, Paddington. He did the Paddington movies, which were quite successful. So uh, this is his first stab at a musical, and, and I think he's nailed it. It reminded me of the musicals I used to see when I was young. You know, right from the start, everything, even Dr. Doolittle, the, not the Eddie Murphy version, but the <laughs> the original, the original with Rex Harrison, Nice that, that comes into play. It's, it's just a wonderful picture.
1: We're getting a theme here of this nostalgic back to the eighties, back to like the growing up years, our generation growing up uh, kind of movies. And that sounds very comforting. I know the world is in such a crazy place. It's kind of nice to go back to a time that was a little bit saner and a little, a little calmer. So that's beautiful stuff. After a 10-year hiatus, director John Woo is returning to Hollywood with a Christmas thriller called Silent Night. First of all, where was John Woo for the last 10 years, and what can we expect from him in his comeback film? Before we hear more about John Woo's comeback film, Silent Night, we're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Finding a Bliss and Tom Ernst when we come back, back in a moment.
3: Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
1: We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740. And just before the break, I was asking you, Tom, about John Woo's comeback film after his 10-year hiatus. Where was John Woo for the last decade, and what can we expect from his new film, Silent Night?
0: I'm, I'm a big John Woo fan. I love action films. I love genre films. Uh, John Woo returned to Hong Kong, where he was from. And this last film, he didn't do so well when he was in, in the uh, North America. Hmm. And I have to say, Judy, he still isn't doing so well in North America. Hmm. His Hong Kong films are splendid. Okay. Um, he's very uh, melodramatic. And for some reason, that seems to work but uh, yes. when, when you when you put it in a context, a North American context, I just don't buy it as much. This movie is supposed to be a Christmas story. It's it's bleak, it's dark, it's not particularly satisfying for me at yes. all. And as a matter of fact, if I can plug original sin, I just my review for the film is up there and it explains it a little bit more, but
1: oh. it's it's a bit of a downer, I think. Oh, okay. But that won't stop John Woo fans. That won't him. stop John Woo fans, but maybe the trick is to see his films that were made in Hong Kong.
0: I think so. He has one uh, North American film that I quite like, and it's called Face Off with John Travolta, and that movie I think works, and also Nicolas Cage is in that. But mostly, I think his films just sort of fall flat. I don't. Th- I don't think North America is quite primed for the big melodramatic feelings. Um, Mm -hmm. If you remember a director in 1950s, and why would you, Judy? (laughs) uh, uh, He's very much similar to a guy named Douglas Sirk, who (laughs) was credited with making movies that started the soap opera craze. Uh, and, And there was a movie called Carol, out a few, a Christmas movie called Carol, a few years ago, and that was done very much in the Douglas Sirk style, hmm. and that
1: worked. So And that worked, right. So, yeah. so you've got to sort of get the vibe, and if you're in the vibe, it, it, works, it works for you. Um, mm-hmm. Very interesting. It's funny, when you mentioned John Travolta, I was just talking to Rick Campanella, and he talked about how John Travolta walked into much music. And he got to interview him in, in those glory years, and just mm. how that was a trip. Like, he wasn't a music person per se, he was a, a, a film actor, yeah. but just how cool that was interviewing him. So, that, that sounds very interesting. Not um, a music
0: person. Sorry, Judy, not a music person, but Saturday Night Fever. Yes. And Rick, Rick says Grease? that
1: actually. Yes. Yes. And
0: what's the other one? Greece. Greece. But then there's the other one about the big hair and the dancing and the. Um, Hair, hairdo hair hair, hair. spray
1: hair spray yeah you're right he yeah. is a musical person i take that back but you know what i mean you think of him as sort of like the yeah. a, the movie actor but he's also you're right he's a musical movie actor and i yeah. just wish there would be way more musicals in movies i just always think that's that's a shoe-in for me every time no, me you too. recommended one last year now I see i'm like having it. a blank and it was very colorful and I love this movie. I watched it a couple of times. Now I'm having a full blank. I'm gonna to have to go back. It was last year's movie, mm. and it was it was very colorful, candy coated. I wish I could remember stepping it's... outside, like br- breaking the Brechtian fourth wall. Oh, I see. It'll oh, come that's... to me. It's well, kind insert... of like
0: spirited too. That they break the fourth wall all the time. Oh, I like, love that. Yeah, I so, love that.
1: Gosh it'll Let's come to me research. at the end of this, Dependent, but you'll go, Oh my God, that one. And I, <laughs> and at first I was like, no, I don't know. And then I was like, I buy this. I love this, these characters. And they, Oh my God, it was so good. I kept having a full blank. I'm having a senior <laughs> moment. You know, Tom.
0: You know I've been <laughs> sort of turning in the back of my mind for the rest of the interview. Until we get
1: <laughs> oh my God. So I want to talk now about another holiday favorite that's streaming on Netflix and that's Jingle Jangle. What a great title, Mm -hmm. which is a few years old now, but it's quickly becoming a favorite seasonal treat. Can you tell us a little bit more about Jingle Jangle? Well, it's kind of the, the
0: perfect Christmas story in that it involves a a, a, a toy store. And, and, you know, how much better can a film get, a Christmas movie get, that, that's set in a toy store? And it's got a great cast that includes, you know, Forrest Whitaker. Uh, again, we've got Keegan-Michael Key in this, and this time without a fat suit. Hugh uh, <laughs> uh, Bonneville's in this. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just wonderful. And the music is by uh, Phil Lawrence and John Legend of all people and uh or peoples, I guess mm. and it's it's wonderful it, the choreography is great and it and and it involves a a, a little girl on a journey it, her grandfather owns this he's an he, a toy maker he's very eccentric and then they have these magical inventions and uh it's it's just it's just quite marvelous with great characters and you know great villains and and I, I really can't say enough about it it, it came as a real real surprise, this movie, because when it came out, as you said, it's a few years old, 2020 it came out, I wasn't expecting anything from a Netflix movies. You know, I thought anything that went to Netflix was equal to straight to video. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, this is one of the first movies that really proved that Netflix has its act together. And uh, yeah, this movie, it's hard to make a new classic, but I think this
1: movie did it. Love that! Oh, I'm very excited to hear about this. Let's have a listen to the trailer for Jingle Jangle.
3: Once upon a time, lived the greatest inventor that ever there was, Jeronicus Jangle. Merry
1: Christmas! Merry Christmas indeed! Jangle, for the last thirty years,
3: you've been promising something sensational. I need more time. Either come up with the money you've borrowed by Christmas Or show me the revolutionary invention you once promised I would lose everything What's wrong, Grandpa? had a perfect life
0: Loving family and a magical shop
3: Till an old friend Took it all But he didn't get this Young lady
0: If I know anything about your grandfather, there's something sensational in that.
3: Wow. I'm Buddy. Whoa. (laughs) I'm
0: actually flying. (laughs) If I have that toy, I'll be unstoppable.
3: It's foolproof. You are proof that there are fools. Fools, 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 fools. Fools. This is the only place where I've ever been where I finally felt like I belong. We have to get Buddy back.
2: I know about losing things, but the magic's in what you still have.
3: Who you are, no matter what you do, the magic lives inside of you.
1: Okay, I love this one. This is, I think, my favorite. I I love this. It just has everything that a Christmas movie needs to have. And it's it's just got a good message and a good feeling. And I just imagine curling up, because you can watch this at home, right? You can watch this on Netflix.
0: Well, and and uh, you know, I I would also we talked about this before is that one of the secrets I think to a great Christmas movie is, and it's not essential, but is looking like Charles Dickens wrote
3: it. You yes. know, looking
0: look like looking like you live in that world. I'm going to take a stab at that movie that we couldn't remember. It, it, I could think of one or two things that was big for me last year. Mary, the Mary Poppins movie. Now Okay, and would would it have been the television series, uh, uh, Schmigadoon?
1: Yes! Mm. (laughs) Have
0: you seen the second season to that? No. Do so. Oh my God, I'm looking for something to to, to watch. That's amazing. The second season is darker and better. Oh, darker. (laughs) Yeah, because the first one did all the sort of old 1950s musicals. The second one is all about cabaret
1: and hair and those music. Rent and oh my God. Yeah. Excited. No, I'm seriously I'm gonna I'm gonna start watching this I think tonight because I was obsessed with that. I didn't even yeah. know there was a new season. Yeah, Thank God for you Tom what would we do without you? I, I'm telling you. Well I have my own very brief movie recommendation for a film. It's a documentary that made its premiere at Roy Thompson Hall this past September 22nd. We had the guy on the show, Sean Menard. I don't know if you ever got a chance to see 299 Queen Street West. It's coming out on Crave this mm-hmm. month. And it's all about the iconic Much Music Years starring all of them, like Erica M and, wow. and Rick Campanelli and Strombo and Michael Williams and uh, everyone. And Steve Steve Anthony. Of and course, it was,
0: Steve Anthony. <laughs> of
1: course. And it was, out. I'm not joking. I was in the uh, premiere opening night audience at Roy Thompson Hall, and the feeling was electric. Wow. And it was so fabulous. Like, talk about, again, the theme, nostalgia. There's something about that that I think people are craving. I want to end with I know we had you on the show to talk about this earlier, but I mentioned off the top your book, The Wild Boy of Wabamek, which, as you know, I devoured everyone, loved, had a very good cry reading. I do highly recommend it as a great a holiday gift for someone or for yourself. And um, I just want to mention that and let people know that if you're looking for a great read, add this one to your list. Thank and I asked you on the phone before this interview what some of the best things have been about writing that book. And you mentioned that it led to another book deal. Can you give us a sneak peek about that? Well, I
0: can, I can tell you what that's about. Yes, uh, uh, it is uh, a book called 101 Fascinating Facts About Canadian Cinema and Television. Awesome. Uh, so talk about nostalgia. I've been going right back to the beginning of Canadian cinema and finding these little gems of stories that I had no idea—some tragic, and some delightful, some funny, some you'll remember, some current—and anyway, it's 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 a—I'm up to fifty-five fascinating facts. I, oh I, wow! I, I got about forty <laughs> more to do. So
1: that's awesome. Well, we'll look forward, forward to that. Third. And of course, we're going to ask you to come on for. Time number seven, I guess it will be, (laughs) to tell us about that when it comes out. And if you
0: don't ask me, I'll be at your door.
1: We're we're waiting for you. I know I've asked you this question many times before, so I'm going to ask it now. And I know your answer is always the same, your daughter, but I'm going to ask it again. (laughs) What is bliss these days for Tom Ernst? Well,
0: yes, my daughter. But, you know, I'm going to also add that I, I think being given the opportunity to write during my days is, is a gift that I just only dreamt of when I was younger. And and that it should happen in, you know, once I became a senior citizen is a true gift. It's, uh, you know, where most careers, are, I guess, are winding down. Uh, I got a new one starting up. So, um uh, Awesome. To me, that just makes every every morning uh, exciting and every night anticipation.
1: That's, you know day. what's so great about what you're saying is I find a lot of writers talk about they don't enjoy the writing process. They enjoy having written, having published, having done it. But you're actually enjoying the process. So any tips or thoughts about what it is that you enjoy for people who struggle with the process? I, I, for me, it's it really is, it,
0: and it is still a struggle. But uh, it's it's because I think I have been rewarded uh, or award, yeah, rewarded for my work that has it sort of it 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 feels fill, a void. And so when I'm doing it, but I also did it as a young kid. I I did it when I was twelve, ten, eleven, twelve. All those, yeah. You know. So it's been with me my whole life. It's it's living with these characters or living with a uh, discovery of what these characters are going to say, or in the case of this most recent book that I'm doing, in what I'm digging up about uh, uh, cinema, which is something I've loved, Gosh. but m- missed so many things about it. And matter of fact, one of the things I, I stumbled upon uh, is a very uh, uh, tragic fact, but I thought this is going to be my next novel. I'm going to find out more about this, and it's about a... Uh, a team uh, did a, a one of the first Canadian movies, like in the 30s, hmm. and they went to Alaska. And for some reason, nobody knows why, this book blew up and everyone perished. And I thought, I got to find out more about this story. So I just gave you
1: one of the facts. But I've got a fact for you. I don't know if this will make it into the book. But do you know that my husband, Dr. Clifford Liebrack, who's a fertility doctor, made a film when he was in grade eight with Ron Mann and he had a lot to do with it and it was called The Strip about the Young Street Strip. And it's famous. And yes, my I'm husband so. he he is the unsung hero in this, my husband Cliff Lebrac. There's a fact.
0: You send me an email because <laughs> I want more information about this. And I think I'm up to fifty six, but it's Yay!
1: Not- <laughs> That's the best. Well, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a happy and healthy New Year. And as always, it's so wonderful to see you on this, and just to always keep in touch. It's it's always wonderful. So, wishing you and your family very very happy Christmas, peace, joy, love, all good things.
0: Thank you, Judy. To you too, and thank you for constant, you know, continuing remembering me uh, and bring me on the show because I really enjoy doing this.
1: All the best to you. I want to thank you so much, Tom Ernst, for being on the show again today. It's always so great to see you and happy, happy holidays to you. Thank you, Judy. You too. Each week we spotlight a fabulous person like Tom Ernst and like Heather Ogden who have been on the show today. So if you are a fabulous person, I'm sure you are, whoever's listening, or you're an author, artist, musical person, singer, mindfulness expert, or really anybody was found and is following their bliss. We would love to hear from you. We also love to feature singer songwriters or musicians on the show. So if you're a singer, please reach out to us. Also, what did you love about today's program? Are there any guests or topics you'd like us to feature? Write to us at FYB at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. I'm good at this. And I'm on Insight Timer. And of course, you can always reach out to us at the Bliss Minute on Instagram. The Bliss Minute on Facebook and now on TikTok. We're on TikTok too or at findingyourbliss.com. In Bliss News, I'm so excited to announce our phenomenal giveaway courtesy of Dahlia Paul Lipson of Restyle Renew Boutique. Dahlia is dedicated to empowering women of all ages, shapes, and sizes to look and feel their best. You could have the chance to experience the joy of personalized shopping as she guides you in discovering the style that makes you feel your best, through expert styling, personal shopping, and closet editing. We have a $100 voucher courtesy of Restyle Renew Boutique that we're giving away on our Instagram at The Bliss Minute. All you have to do is go to the contest post and follow the directions from there. The giveaway will be closing on Wednesday, December 20th, so be sure to check it out just in time for the holidays. I would like to thank our wonderful guests, Heather Ogden, and Tom Ernst for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Meg Ruffman, Siobhan Kylie, producer Olivia Weatherall, audio engineer, Juliane Anicello, senior editor, Lauren Kaminsky, video editor, Sierra Brown Rodriguez, audio producer, Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, The Create Fertility Center. And to close out the show today, I wanna to play one of Heather Ogden's favorite pieces of music from The Nutcracker. So without further ado, here is Waltz of the Flowers. Tchaikovsky. I'm Judy Liebrach, wishing you all a happy and healthy holiday season and a blissful, safe, and peaceful new year. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great
0: podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.